listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Hey, I'm excited because today we begin a new series called Unlimited. Somebody say Unlimited. Can you agree that our God is a God of plenty? Amen. Our God is a God of plenty. God is not lacking. God is not lacking. He is not wanting. God is not insufficient. Um, Our God is sufficient. Amen. Psalm 145 and 16. Let me me just kind of forewarn you. I'm going to hit you with a ton of scripture today. So good luck. Good luck. Okay. Psalm 145 and 16 says, your open hand, you open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Listen, God's hand satisfies the desire of every living thing. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Philippians 4 and 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In Psalm 23 and 1, The Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me. I shall not want. I'm not going to be in need. I'm not going to be in want. He's not going to leave me needing or wanting. My God will supply. It's safe to say that our God is not lacking. He has what we need and he is not going to run out of it anytime soon. And so the question is not, does God have enough? That's not the question. Does God have enough? No, that's not the question. The question is this, what do we need? Because I think that's where we get messed up. I think that's where we, we get mixed up in our theology sometimes. What do we really need from God? I think we pray a lot of prayers sometimes and we don't understand that that God is sufficient, that God will supply, that God has an abundance. He is unlimited. But what do we need? Walking through the forest, there was this atheist that heard a rustling in the bushes and turning around, he saw a big massive grizzly bear and he was charging towards him. And so this atheist ran as fast as he could But unfortunately, he stumbled over a log and he fell. And as the the bear caught up with him and raised his big paw with the claws on it to strike, the, the atheist screamed out. He said, God, help me. And time just stood still. The bear became immobile. He just froze. The forest was silent. Even the river stopped flowing. The atheist heard a powerful voice from the heavens say, You have denied my existence for years. You have convinced others that I don't exist and credited my creation to a cosmic accident. Why should I help you? And the atheist at that point, he agreed. He said, It would be hypocritical to ask you to show mercy on me, but perhaps you could make the bear a Christian. At that, the noise of the forest resumed. The river began to flow. The bear dropped to his knees, put his paws together, and said, Lord, for this food which I'm about to receive, I am truly thankful. Amen. I'm afraid that we have reduced the word grace to what we do before we eat. We say grace. Many of you know this. And I'm not going to bore you with the whole story, but uh, I used to have this chocolate lab named Joe that I taught to pray before he would eat. It it was a chore, but I taught this dog to pray before we'd eat. And I would tell people that my dog has to say grace before he eats. And and that's exactly what would happen. He would pray. Um, I can tell you there was very little grace involved in a dog eating his food. Very little grace in training him to pray before he would eat. And I was gracious in the fact that I was feeding this dog, 
but watching him eat was less than graceful. The prayer that you may or may not remember to pray at lunch today is not what best describes God's grace. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you not to pray and not to be thankful for the food that you will receive at lunch today, but I'm letting you know that is a terrible definition of what is God's grace. And today I want to speak to you on the subject of God's unlimited grace. God's unlimited grace. We should be thankful today that our God is unlimited in his grace. Amen? God is unlimited in his grace. He has this unlimited supply of grace for us. John 1 and 16 says, For from his fullness we have all received, I love this, grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. The grace of our Lord is extended over and over and over again. His grace is like stacks on stacks on stacks. God's got grace, amen? And it doesn't end. What does that mean for us? I, I think that's what I really want to talk to us about today is what does that mean for us? W what is unlimited grace and how do we benefit from that? Well, first and foremost, it means salvation. And even though that's not exactly what I'm talking about today, you can't talk about grace without talking about salvation. Salvation is the cornerstone of, of what we put our faith in. Salvation, Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember, for by grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. In other words, you can't take credit for your salvation. Okay. All right. It's serve month. I, I, I need to clear this up because some of you are trying to earn your way into heaven, Right? You can't take credit for your salvation. You can't be good enough to earn it. Your salvation came through grace and through grace alone. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It says, For the grace of God has appeared. That's Jesus Christ himself. He is our grace. Our salvation came through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Make no mistake about it. He alone is the grace that produces our salvation. But don't forget what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. Listen to what Paul said. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let me just stop there and just testify for just a moment. By the grace of God, I am who I am today. See, most of you didn't know me before the grace of God. But by the grace of God, I am who I am today. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. So listen to what Paul says. He says, his grace, which brought about my salvation, it brings about an effect. There's something that happens. He says, no, no I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so God's grace of salvation produced a work through his life. And though you are not saved by your works, God's grace will cause you to work. God's grace creates servants and a servant's heart within each of us. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. 
It's his grace that he makes bountiful in your life. It's that grace that produces the good works in your life. It's the reason why dozens of DCCers hit the ground running yesterday, kicking off our annual serve month. We don't do this to gain salvation. We do this because we are saved. Oh, there's some of you right now, the conviction setting in right now because you didn't serve, uh, sign up for serve month, right? Oh, God, help them. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is our main text today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul is writing. And, and Paul is bragging on how God has used him. He, he, he's talking about all the wonderful things that God has allowed him to accomplish in his ministry and then in verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are not certain of exactly what Paul was dealing with. Um, we're not made privy to this information. He mentioned that he had a thorn in the flesh. He called this this situation a messenger of satan and we're just left to speculate that's that's all we can do is just speculate on what he was dealing with here and depending on what commentary you read there's a lot of thoughts about it i personally believe that he was dealing with an agitator a critic that stirred up trouble for paul I think that's what he was dealing with. And I, and I think it, it was a, a, a personality conflict. I think it was someone that was rubbing Paul the wrong way. Someone who was probably questioning his authority. And, and he said, I prayed three times that this, this, this person or this, this, this thorn in my flesh would be removed. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. In my 26 plus years of ministry, I've had my fair share of agitators. People that either consciously or subconsciously got on my nerves. Maybe they didn't even know it, right? Oh, to have the power of incineration. Oh, some of you faithful servants would be well done right now if I had the power of incineration. Paul saw this situation as an opportunity for God's grace. Paul saw this as an opportunity for grace to work in his life. Imagine if we walked through all of our hardships, all of our trials. What if we walked through our calamities and, and, and had the, the outlook that Paul had? An opportunity for God's grace to be evident in our lives. Paul saw this as an opportunity for grace. And he recognized that when he was at his weakest... That God was at his strongest. I think there's something to be learned there. I, I think there's, there's something to be said that when a person finally reaches that place to where they're just at the end of the rope, when, when, when they just don't know what to do. Oh, some of you are there right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When, when you are just at 
your weakest. Paul says, just, just, just get ready because it's at that moment that if you allow him to, God can be at his strongest. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't think it's I am strong. I think I am is strong. That's what he said his name was to Moses, right? He says, I am that I am. I think when we are weak, when I am weak, then I am is strong. Now, there are two aspects of God's grace that I want to shed some light on today. Just two that I'm going to talk about. And, and, and then we're going to worship and get out of here, okay? But, but I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Two, two things that I really want to point out to you about God's unlimited grace. Here it is. Number one is this. God's grace for me. God's grace for me. All too often, too many Christians walk in disgrace rather than grace. And they allow the, the enemy of their souls to make them feel undeserving and shameful. It, it might help some of you to know that, that we're all undeserving. We're all undeserving. Romans 3 and 10 says, none is righteous, no, not one. None. There's not a person in this room that is righteous without Christ Jesus. So, so none of us are deserving of it. But why is it that some of us can, can, can walk in victory while others walk in shame? Why is it that there are some people that they seem to go through life graceful, full of God's grace, but yet there are others that it seems like at every turn they're being beat down, they're, they're, they're being destroyed. So for some of you, you've just got to realize first and foremost that, that none of us, not, not one person in this room is righteous, none of us are deserving, so get over yourself and stop acting like you are some special type of sinner because grace covers all of our sin, amen? amen. None of us are deserving of grace, but his love for us sent grace searching for us. And I don't get it. I don't understand it. I think it's extremely careless and very reckless. But nevertheless, God sends his grace searching after us even when we don't deserve it. That even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. You see, church, I don't deserve it. But I live my life in such a way that I receive it. And there's people in this room that you've got to come to that understanding that God's grace is greater. Disgrace causes many Christians to walk aimlessly and humiliated. They never conquer the sin in their life because they cling to disgrace more than they cling to grace. I believe that the best description that I can give you of God's grace is for you to, to use your imagination for a moment. If you will, just imagine that you're a kid learning to ride your bike. You remember, for some of you, that wasn't long ago. For others in the room... As you use your imagination and, 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 and you're learning to ride a bike, as you ride this bicycle down the sidewalk, you notice that there is a pothole in the concrete heading your way. It's inevitable. You're going to hit the pothole. Not knowing how to respond, you hit the bump and your bicycle then becomes unstable. The handlebars are wobbly and it feels like you're losing control. As you brace yourself for the fall, you notice that on one side of the sidewalk is the road, hard asphalt. The other side of the sidewalk is, is lush, cushiony grass. Now, which one do you choose to fall into? Hard asphalt or soft grass? 
This is the beauty of grace. It gives us a soft landing spot. And there's believers that need to come to that understanding. Listen to me. Somebody needs to hear this. Your salvation, I'm going to be careful. I'm not once saved, always saved, okay? I know some of you are, and that's okay. It's okay. God's going to work all that out when we get to heaven because none of us have perfect theology, okay? But here's what I do believe. I do believe that we're a whole lot more secure in our faith than what we want to give credit to because he is grace and grace covers it. We've got to learn how to fall with grace, church. We've got to learn that, 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 that we have a cushion in Christ Jesus. Many new believers, they walk away from the faith because they don't know how to respond when they stumble or fall. Don't fall from grace Fall with grace. Don't fall away from Jesus. Fall with Jesus. Let him brace the fall for you. That's grace. But also understand that grace doesn't give us a license to sin either. I knew that would get some of you fired up. (laughs) Romans 6 verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. God's grace is the power over your sin, not the power to keep sinning. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate that, brother. I said, God's grace is the power over your sin, not the power to keep sinning. Learn to fall with grace while at the same time learning to keep your balance on the bike, not making the same mistake again. That's what it means. Watch out for those potholes and avoid them. Learn from your fall. Learn from from falling with Christ. But when you do hit one, fall into the arms of Jesus and let him catch you. When I was just a kid, around 10 or 11 years old, my dad bought me and, and my brother a moped. And, and dad never bought anything new. We always had what others would consider junk. But my dad was a, a former um, drag racer. My dad had raced Don Garlitz back in the day. He was a drag racer long before I was born. And my dad knew engines. He knew, he knew, he knew motors. He knew the mechanics of it all. And, um, and so dad would buy junk. And then he would get it running for us, and, and we would have fun. And we had a bunch of old go-karts throughout the years, moped. We had motorcycles, just things. And, and, and trust me, he didn't pay a lot of money for any of it. Dad knew that he could take the governor off these things and make them a whole lot faster than what they were intended to go. And so we had this old moped, and um, this thing was a piece of junk, man. I'm telling you, you it was one of those that you'd kick up on the kickstand lean forward, and you'd have to pedal it to start it. As you're pedaling, you, you give it a little bit of gas, and, and then the engine would start, and you just kick it off the kickstand, and you're gone. Does anybody in the room have a clue what I'm talking about? Seven of us. Perfect. All right. So I had this old moped, and, and the button for the horn was missing. And it, and it had this wire that came from the horn, and all it had to do was make contact with the, with the metal on the handlebars, and when it did, you would hear the horn, meep, 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 meep. And if you get going fast enough down a bumpy road, you would hear, you, you could hear me coming a mile away. Meep, 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 meep. There's that wire hitting the handlebar. I couldn't sneak up on anybody. Well, one day, me and my friend, my buddy, his name was Little Donnie. His dad was Big Donnie. 
He has nothing to do with this story. But little Donnie was with me. And we were coming into our backyard. There was a side road that came into our backyard. We were coming in hot. And the brakes went out on this thing. I'm driving. Remember now, you're thinking, moped, no governor. We're coming in hot. Donnie's on the back hanging on for dear life. And, and besides that, the throttle was stuck too. It never had brakes. Let me just be honest. The thing never had brakes. We'd stop it with our feet, but the throttle was stuck. And we're flying and we're heading straight for a fence. And my dad was working in the shed, probably working on a lawnmower or something. And he hears us coming. And he sticks his head out and he sees panic. And he knows that throttle is locked and we're heading straight for that fence. My dad, all out sprint, takes off running. And he grabs me and little Donnie at the same time. That man just, just manhandled us right off that thing. And that thing crashed into the fence. And my dad became a hero that day. I mean, just amazing, amazing. Listen, if you're heading for trouble, fall into the arms of Jesus. He's not there to condemn you. He's there to save you. He's there to save you. You've got to learn how to fall. Grace is for you. Grace is for you. Learn how to fall with grace. Hebrews 4 and 16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How many of you are thankful for the unlimited grace that he has for your life? Amen? All right. And this leads me to my final point. God's grace through you. There's God's grace for you, but then there's God's grace through you. All the timing of this message. Because if you want to protect unity that I talked about in the last series, if you want to protect unity, <clears throat> you have to allow God's grace to flow through you. Because people are morons. It just, it, it is what it is. You'll think that they're pretty good and, and everything's going right. And at some point, they're going to let you down. At some point, I'm going to let you down. And sometimes you just have to be able to look at people and just say grace. Grace. I'm looking at one person in each section and I'm just saying grace. You know, you know who you are. It's, it's that moment that you're just like, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this person. Bless their stupid heart and their dumb head, Lord. Grace. Grace. You know what it's like when you're serving on that serve month project? And there's a person that's serving with you that's getting on your nerves. You know, they, they know how the job can be done better and more efficiently, at least in their minds. They think they're an expert on it. Say it with me. Grace. That's it. That's it. That's all, that's all you need. It's God's grace through you. It's how you protect unity. Grace. When you and your family are on that road trip and you're ready to leave your kids at the next rest stop. Just turn around, just look at them and grace. But my name's Sam, no grace. When your wife has asked you numerous times in a passive aggressive tone to complete a project at the house, but she has no clue how much time and energy it's going to take that you just cannot start that project on a late Saturday afternoon and expect to be done with it by Monday morning. Just look at her and say, no, you have to say it. Grace. There it is. There it is. 
when he makes that stupid purchase. He didn't need rims for his truck. Ladies, what are you going to look at him and say? Grace, grace. Sometimes, though, it's hard to extend grace. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes it's, it's hard. But why is it that when we are guilty, we crave grace? Man, we want it, right? When we are in the wrong, we want someone to look at us and tell us that it's all forgiven and forgotten. We want someone to expunge our record and help us move past the situation as unscathed as possible. That's what we want for ourselves. But when we are confronted with the guilt of others, we want justice. I demand justice. And we're hesitant to extend grace, especially when it has robbed us of something that we considered valuable. Recently, I was having a conversation with Pastor Andrew and Deanna's son, Lincoln. He has no idea what I'm about to share with you. He's scared to death. Because if you've never had a conversation with Lincoln, I challenge you to have a conversation with Lincoln. It'll change your life. And uh, uh, Pastor Andrew's son, Lincoln, and I were having a conversation one day at the office about double dipping. He was offering me some food that required to be dipped, so I wanted to make sure that he was not double dipping because I'm a germaphobe, and I felt like it was a good opportunity and probably my duty as his shepherd to help him. <laughs> so in this teachable moment, I decided that I was going to share with Lincoln of a time that his father, probably 12, 13 years ago or longer, maybe longer, um, we went to Olive Garden together one day for lunch. We were, we were in Gainesville. We went to Olive Garden together, and Pastor Andrew ordered, back then it was, we called it a boat of Alfredo sauce, a bowl of Alfredo sauce to dip our breadsticks in. And he offered me some, which was a kind thing to do, right? He said, would you like some? I said, sure. So I put, very conservatively, I put a little bit on my plate because I didn't want to be a hog. The guy had offered me some, and I thought, you know, I'll, I'll get more if I need some. Well, I got a little bit, put it on my plate, began dipping my breadsticks in my plate. Pastor Andrew dipped his right in, took a bite. A little bit later, dipped it in that big bowl again, <laughs> took a bite. And I just looked at him and I said, how dare you? <laughs> and to this day, he's like, well, it was mine. It was, but it was rude. <laughs> Simply put, I have no grace for an inconsiderate double dipper in my life. None. I know that you're closing the service today, so I know that this is going to come back. I know it is. I'm just going to dismiss you before he comes up. <laughs> we are hesitant to extend grace, especially when it has robbed us of something that we considered valuable. Church, this is the tough part. Because sometimes it's more than just dipping sauce in breadsticks. Sometimes it's serious. Because sometimes it's a major, major financial burden that they put you in. And it's changed your credit score. It's changed the, the, the outlook of your finances. And sometimes it's a breach of trust in a relationship. And you're not sure if you're ever going to be able to trust him or trust her again. It's hard. Sometimes it's a loss of innocence. How do you extend grace in moments like that? When, it, when it's just so difficult, when justice has to prevail, what do we do? 
And I understand that there are times when you must choose to protect your peace. Hey, I've had to make some hard decisions like that in my own life. I understand what it means to protect your peace. I do. But here's the warning. Here it is. It's for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. We must be careful because you will eventually judge God's grace by the amount of grace that you extend to others. Hear me. Hear me. It's a trap of the enemy. You will eventually judge God's grace by the amount of grace that you're willing to extend to others. In other words, if you don't extend the grace of God, eventually you will feel like your mistakes exceed the grace of God. This is a hard place for us. Hebrews 12 and 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. When you don't know what else to do, Jesus said to pray for your enemies. Pray for those that hurt you. And you can't pray that God would destroy them, but that he would love them and that he would forgive them. The greatest restoration of relationships in my own life have happened through me praying for blessings, for success, for God's love, for his mercy, for his grace to flood their lives. Grace is described as amazing for a reason. It's amazing grace. Amazing grace. It's because his grace is limitless and it knows no boundaries. We're the ones that put the limits on it. It's because his grace has a way of reaching into the darkest of lives and the deepest valleys of despair. That's God's grace. Here's the amazing thing about grace. It's for the believer and the unbeliever. It's for the saint and the sinner. It's for salvation. It's for service. It's for survival. It's grace. And we all need it. There was a grandfather that found his grandson jumping up and down in his playpen, crying at the top of his lungs. When the child saw his grandfather, he reached out his, his chubby little hands and he said, Out, Papa, out. It was only natural for that grandfather to reach down to lift the little fellow out of his playpen and out of his predicament. But as he did, the mother of the child stepped in and said, No, you're being punished. You must stay in the playpen. Now, the grandfather was in quite a predicament himself. At a loss for knowing what to do. The child's tears and his little outstretched arms reached deep into this grandfather's heart. And the mother's firmness in correcting her son for misbehavior could not be taken lightly. So this predicament was justice versus grace. Love versus law. But grace found a way. Love found a way. Because that grandfather could not take his grandson out of the playpen, so he decided he was going to crawl over and get in it with him. As I read through the Word of God, here's what I've realized. 
God doesn't always spare Paul and Silas from suffering and imprisonment. But he did come down to prison with them. God doesn't always keep the three Hebrew children out of the fiery furnace. But he went into the furnace with them. And God will not always deliver us from trouble. And he will not always deliver us from heartache. But he has promised grace for every situation of life. As God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.